Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Got a very special show today talking USC recruiting. Of course, that means we're going to talk to our friend Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst. So much going on in the world of recruiting. Uh, we want to get uh, get his update on what's going on. There's been some offers. There's been some commitments. You guys have sent in a lot of questions. Speaking of questions, if you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address. Or if you want to leave us a voicemail, a couple different ways you can do that. 641-715-3900 is the number. And then you have to do mailbox 816-646. Or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can click on the left side of the page. And leave a voicemail right from your computer or your device. And if you want to get the, your this podcast every week or every episode downloaded to all of your devices, you can subscribe on iTunes. So go to iTunes.com slash Parastyle Podcast. We have our own URL and you can subscribe. Like I said, if you leave us uh, positive feedback, that would be wonderful. You can leave us a five-star rating as well. So a lot of different ways to consume the show. Let it, you know, let, let your friends know. You're a Trojan fan. You want to know about the Parastyle Podcast? We talk about USC football each and every week, sometimes a couple times a week. We've been doing it since 2009. All right, without further ado, let's bring in Gerard Martinez. Gerard, what is going on, sir? How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, We're at the beginning of the grind, and this year is a little different because we have the satellite camps in addition to the regular USC camps. So this past weekend, uh, you and I were both down at USC covering camps. Uh, I was also uh, out here in Norco uh, to cover the Empire Showcase, which was a satellite camp. So USC coaches are all over the place covering these camps. You've got Clay Helton, who actually, same day, was at the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament and then came out to the Empire Showcase and then went back to the 7-on-7 seven seven tournament at USC and then later that night went down to a camp uh, down at Long Beach Poly. So uh, for the college coaches, it's also an increased grind and being kind of crazy with the satellite camps uh, that the NCAA has uh has allowed to go, um, at least for this summer, <laughs> judging from the lack of regulation and some of the things we've seen and heard about the satellite camps. I don't think they're going to last too long, uh, or at least uh, they're going to have to change, I think, dramatically in uh, how they're being run right now. now. I agree with you 100%. And it's, it's, it is crazy. And I, you know, Clay Helton was there. I got to talk to him in the morning and then a little bit when he came back in the afternoon, he returned. I was at the USC seven on seven camp on Sunday. So he was there to award, uh, the, you know, the, the winners at the modern days team, team lids ended up winning the tournament and, uh, three of their players ended up getting offers. Um, and one of the guys that they lost to on team EAT, uh, he got an offer too, um, Chase Williams, but it was, uh, it was interesting to see him out there. And when I was just kind of chatting him up a little bit, he's, he was telling me how busy they are. I think it's 30 straight days where they're covering, they're in multiple camps a day. Like every day they're doing at least one, but there's usually multiple camps. And in Clay Hilton's case, it's not just the, the staff splitting off and doing their own thing. And, you know, one guy's in Hawaii, one guy's in Texas or whatever. But like you said, Clay Hilton was in, you know, covering multiple events. And some of the, some of the coaches went to Long Beach Poly from six to nine PM that night, or at least one of the coaches was supposed to. Because there was an event that night too. So it's just so much going on. And I agree with you, Gerard. I just don't see this. This is very unregulated right now. I think satellite camps will stick around next year, but there's probably going to be a lot more regulations. Yeah, there should be. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to get into the stories about, you know, some of the impermissible things we've seen and heard uh, going on with the satellite camps at this point. Um, that's a whole nother podcast in and of itself, but certainly just the time I think for the coaches, um, you know, I know Jim Harbaugh is all pumped up about it and he's going to go to Samoa and he's going to go to Australia and all this and that. Uh, but truth be told, it's really the assistant coaches that have to be everywhere. The head coaches are not hitting all these camps like that. Um, it's a lot of the support staff and these guys are almost every day, you know, having to be involved. And, and what it's also doing is it's watering down the institutional camps, the camps that these schools have on campus, which, from an evaluation standpoint, I think that's more important for the kids. Everybody 
that was, I think, a proponent of the satellite camps were really a proponent because they felt like it was an extended evaluation period. It was an ability for a kid to go to a camp that's local, uh, that he doesn't have to spend a lot of money going to, and he can have college coaches basically come to him and get discovered. But truth be told, I think that's the minority of what's really happening. What's the majority of what's happening and really the motivation for most of these schools going out to these camps all over the country are to get some face time with the top kids, the kids that they've already offered. Um, USC got to hang out a little bit with Marvin Wilson, uh, number one defensive tackle in the nation down in Houston. They had a satellite camp in Houston with TCU, Alabama, and Ohio State. Marvin Wilson didn't participate in the camp. He just showed up to hang out. So everybody's kind of paying attention to Marvin Wilson. They want to talk about Marvin Wilson. <laughs> and meanwhile, you've got all these kids actually participating in the camp that are not getting looked at because everybody wants to talk to Marvin Wilson. So, you know, it's one of those things. You put coaches in a competitive situation with recruiting, and that's what they're going to do. When there's kids there and they feel like they've got to be able to do or say something to be able to get noticed, that's what the, the, the motivation is going to be. That's where the effort and focus is going to be. And that's what we've basically seen. I'm sure there's maybe going to be some kids out there that get offers that wouldn't normally get offers from a school that, you know, is outside the region. But I think overall it's really more going to be about recruiting. And that's why we're seeing schools being pushed. And with these college coaches, oh, man, they're, they're, they're going to be uh, – I mean, by the time July comes around, they're going to be uh, very, very tired uh, from, this, from the process. of so basically been on the road for two whole months because, remember, the May evaluation period starts April 15th. So from April, April 15th, they've been going to all these high schools, and, and they can't really talk to the kids so much, but they go and they evaluate them. They check out transcripts. They watch them at track practice. They watch them at football practice, et cetera. So you had them on the road basically from April 15th, and they are continuing to be on the road uh, throughout this month of June. So that's a long time. That's a long time um, to be you know, going from you know, Los Angeles um, and then going to Texas and then coming back to Los Angeles for a day, and then going back to Dallas. Uh, that happened. That was some of the USC support staff actually did that this weekend where they had another camp in Dallas. So they came and spent literally just a day, um, you know, less than 24 hours uh, back in Los Angeles before returning to Texas for another camp. That stuff is going to run your ragged. Yeah, I could imagine. And just uh, they're earning their money. Coaches make a lot of money, but this is a really busy time for them. So, well, I wanted to get into some of the news and, uh, you know, probably the biggest news is, a, you know, USC picking up a couple of commitments recently. So maybe you want to kind of update the USC fans on, on who the latest commitments are for the Trojans. Yeah, USC picked up two offensive line commits just last week. Uh, center, um, Brett Nealon, who's a 6'2", 275-pound uh, three-star from Santa Margarita, a guy that uh, we've seen, you know, plenty of, seen him at the Nike camps. I uh, actually seen him in person a little bit for Santa Margarita, uh, a fantastic run blocker, a guy that's a little more sought off and stocky, and that's why we really project him more as a center uh, than uh, an offensive guard or maybe even an offensive tackle. He does, for Santa Margarita, play both tackle spots and left guard. So like Max Turek, who came from Santa Margarita, he's moved around a lot in high school, and that versatility definitely adds value to him. But it looks like he would really come in and probably play center. He's talked to the coaching staff about playing center. Um, he had mentioned – uh, that he feels like USC is going to take five uh, offensive linemen in this class. And, and really it's a deep offensive line class, and we've talked about it at nauseum in the war room and probably talked a little bit about it in some of these podcasts. But it's a very, very good offensive line year, uh, not just locally but nationally. And I think USC, it would definitely be a year for them to take five. And we've seen with Clay Helton, he's going to load up on offensive linemen. He, he, that's one big difference with his mentality and recruiting and his strategy that differs from Lane Kiffin, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, and, and certainly Pete Carroll, because Pete Carroll was one of those guys, and I've talked about this before, but their philosophy recruiting was to re- over-recruit the defensive line, under-recruit the offensive line, because they felt like if you bring in an offensive lineman and he's bust and he, and he really just isn't as good as you thought he was, he's dead weight in the roster. You can't move him to any other position. Uh, but with a defensive lineman, if he's a bust, well, maybe he's still athletic enough he can go over to the offensive line and he can make an impact. And and with other positions, you, you know, if you have a linebacker that's just not that great, well, move him to defensive end. If you have a safety that's not that great, well, move him to linebacker. Basically move him down um, at an athletic position down to be able to kind of fill in and, and contribute somewhere else. But on offensive line, maybe you can't really do that. Uh, Clay Helton doesn't believe in that. Clay Helton 
Um, he, he feels like, hey, we're going to go out there. We're going to be a run-first team. We need to bully people. We need to have a physical mentality up front. And so we need to bulk up on offensive linemen. We need to have uh, not just quality up front in our starting five, but we need to have depth. And we need to really cultivate depth within recruiting guys that are very versatile, and, and they've done that. And Brett Nealon's a guy like that. Granted, we think he really ends up playing center and doesn't move around too much. But they did get another commitment uh, just a, really a day later from Andrew Voorhees, a 6'6", 290-pound offensive tackle from Kingsburg, California. Now, Voorhees is a guy that uh, plays offensive tackle, really projects as a right tackle, but definitely is a guy that could end up moving in and playing guard. And, and USC talked about that, too, kind of fitting him in wherever you know he gets early playing time and, and can kind of fill in a, a gap and be able to contribute early, he'll do that. And he's a guy that I, I think can do both. I mean, I think he can play guard because I think if you watch him on film, he's another really mauling run blocker, both of these guys. Nealon and Voorhees are both great run blockers. Uh, I think with Voorhees, he overwhelms guys a little more with size, not playing against the same competition level, uh, certainly. So at the point of attack, he really just overwhelms guys and, and doesn't necessarily have to um, do as much, I think, as Nealon, who really displays a lot of really good quickness, agility, and balance, getting that first contact with the first wave of the defensive lineman, but then moving down to that second level and showing his athleticism, being able to get to the linebacker or maybe even a defensive back that's kind of chipping down, trying to support the run. So uh, both these guys, really, first thing he jumps out on film is their their run blocking, their mentality, their aggressiveness, their physicality, and that really sort of reflects what Clay Helton wants in the offense going forward. Um, so those are the two commitments, uh, recent commitments, and I thought maybe I could talk for a little bit about the seven on seven camp, what I saw. And if you want, maybe you could start maybe talking about what Saturday you saw at the lineman camp. Neither one of them, uh, I guess you could say compared to years past were, you know, well attended by, you know, 2016. Well, this be, you know, 2017 now, um, you know, four and five star kind of guys. It just wasn't those kind of camps, but there was a lot of young talent there. Yeah, definitely. And that's sort of been the trend over the past few years with the lineman camp and even the skills camp, which is coming up next weekend. It's really been based on the underclassmen kids and not quite as competitive with the 2B seniors uh, as we saw maybe in the Pete Carroll years. Um, there, There's sort of a, an argument to be said both ways. I think for USC right now, they feel like, you know what, the guys that we want to offer, we want to get – to the Rising Stars camps because we know that at Rising Stars we're going to have players there that are high-level guys that we can see competition-wise who really deserve to get an offer, whereas we're not going to have that competition level of a skills camp. So while somebody might dominate the skills camp, somebody might dominate the lineman camp, we're not sure if they're really an, uh, an offer guy as a senior to be. Um, and that's the big difference between offering a guy that's an underclassman like we saw with the lineman camp and we saw with the seven-on and actually bringing in a bunch of 2B seniors that are, you know, kind of borderline offer guys and having them go after it. Because obviously if you're offering a scholarship uh, to one of those players in 2017 class, it's a little more serious. It's a little more, okay, you know, we're going out on a limb a little more. We've talked about how offers really don't mean much, obviously. And so, you know, there, there is that argument, like, who, who really cares in June? You could you can offer a 2017 guy. It means about as much as offering a 2020 guy at this point. But for USC, I think their argument is, you know, we want to kind of get everybody the, the, the best against the best senior-wise um, at the Rising Stars camp. And so that's sort of watered down. And obviously with the satellite camps, it's watered down the institutional camps and it's watered down the lineman camp. And we'll see it watered down the skills camp where kids are going to go to other camps and they're going to have other things they're going to want to do. Um, at the lineman camp, you know, speaking of underclassmen, we saw two uh, underclassmen get scholarship offers and really were the two kids that we kind of focused on and watched and we liked. Uh, the one is Keon uh, Ware Hudson, who's an actually a 2019 freshman defensive end from Vista Marietta. Uh, he's about uh, 6'2", probably about 265 right now. Um, tremendous quickness, great balance, uh, was, was firing off the ball. He really stood out in terms of his quickness off the ball in one-on-ones and um, just his natural movement and his bend and his flexibility. Uh, he's a kid that's probably going to be a national recruit. Um, down the line, I don't think he's a kid that's going to really need a whole lot of exposure uh, to have you know scholarships get offered um, early on. He already had a scholarship, sort of had a scholarship from Michigan. I actually talked to one of his coaches. Evidently, he really didn't have a scholarship offer from Michigan. It was kind of talked about that he did, um, but the Michigan coaches actually came down to Vista Marietta, and when uh, they started talking, the, the coaches there at Vista Marietta started talking about Kenyon. 
um, the, the Tim Drevno didn't really know who he was talking about. Um, and that kind of one of those things where it's like, well, somebody offered him on your staff, even though you're the guy that's supposed to be recruiting this area. Um, so it was one of those things. But, I mean, he's a guy – maybe his uh, Michigan offer isn't 100% official right now. It will be down the line. USC, UCLA, they'll all offer him. He, he'll be good. He, it's one of those things that, you know, just where does he play on the defensive line? He's so young right now. He Right now he's sort of a defensive end, but could definitely end up being a three technique down the line. Uh, another guy that they offered a scholarship to is another underclassman. He's a sophomore to be junior, 2018 recruit out of Las Vegas, Arborview High School, Eliza Wade, about 6'6", 215, um, big kid, uh, didn't bend quite as well as uh, from a guy that's sort of a, a, an edge rusher. Uh, that's going to be kind of the question with him is, you know, like a little stiffness in his hips or what have you. Uh, but he definitely was a guy that's a looker, you know, definitely a rangy, um, one of those guys that I think is going to have to put on weight and become more of a five technique. I don't think he's a guy that's going to stand up and be a hybrid. You know, he is in that six, five range and two fifteen is, is certainly not big enough to, to put your hand down and play inside in a, in a 34, five, two variant. Uh, but he's one of those guys that I think, you know, he's got another year to to basically put on weight and um, should. And if he can get into that, you know, 240, 250 range, you know, coming in as a senior, I think he's a guy that will be okay. You can be able to put him down. Um, we didn't see a lot of drills with him playing sort of in coverage or doing anything he would do as a sort of hybrid linebacker. Uh, but just watching him in the drills as a defensive lineman, I think it's questionable whether he would actually be one of those hybrid guys. I think he's got to put his hand down in high school. Okay, so that was the lineman camp. Um, on the – the seven on seven camp. So it was, they had actually, uh, a whole bunch of different fields going at once. They had, uh, someone on Brian Kennedy. They had two teams playing or two, you know, um, two games going on on Howard Jones. They had a game going on in Dado field in the outfield. And they had two more games going on on Cromwell. So there was a lot of games going on at once. The morning was all, uh, like pool play. And then they had playoff single elimination. Um, you know, go from there. You know, if you lose, you're out. And if you, if you win, you advance and it ended up being, uh, modern day's team lids that ended up, uh, winning it all. They played the, the EAT team, um, in the finals and afterwards. So Clay Helton gave out, you know, they'd like gift bags, I think for the, the winners. I'm not sure exactly what they had, uh, in there, but there was a bunch of scholarship offers that were, were given out. Um, so the 2019 quarterback from modern day, we've seen him around for a couple of years. I think when he was first in eighth grade. People were talking about him. JT Daniels, uh, he looked good. Um, Horace McCoy, I got a bunch of footage of. He's a 2019 receiver and, uh, he ended up picking up an offer. A really good looking, uh, prospect. Pretty big looking kid. It's crazy that he's 2019, um, which means they're freshman to be sophomore. So, um, young, <laughs> young kid. And then 2018, uh, I think they pronounced it Amon Ra St. Brown. There was a, you know, with the whole St. Brown cr- uh, crew, uh, another receiver. So he's a, you know, going to be a junior, um, 2018. So he also got a scholarship offer. And then, um, from the team, they end up playing against, uh, Chase Williams, uh, from Roosevelt High School. He ended up getting a scholarship offer and man, he was really impressive. Uh, wasn't, wasn't focused on him. So I wasn't filming him as much. I got a few pictures of him that I, tweeted out but really good looking kid he played corner when they needed him to and he he played against the you know the best guys that modern day had out there but just was catching ball after ball uh at wide receiver and just he just wasn't it was a difference maker out there and they had just played the day before in fresno so they were kind of tired then they made it through so it was a long day just me being out there filming i was kind of tired um but long day so then you know not nothing wrong with uh losing to modern day in the finals there, but I thought they had a really good run. Um, got to see, uh, Cameron McDonald from Long Beach Poly. Uh, he was on the stars, a team. Um, so I got some footage of him, but the, one of the more interesting ones, and this was a, a kid, a lot of people, um, were talking about the stars B team, big Polynesian quarterback. Who's an eighth grader. His whole, the, the, the stars B team had all eighth graders, Gerard and Tyler Vaughn's little brother, John, John was on the team playing corner, playing safety, playing wide receiver. I mean, they threw the ball to him almost every time. He was wearing like a backwards SC visor, and, and Tyler Vons was actually there cheering him on. So he had a, a really good day. But um, DJ, and I don't really know how to pronounce his last name. There's a lot of vowels. It's a U-I-A-G-A-L-E-L-E-I. Yuga Lele or something like that. But um, he's like six foot two 
and just has a cannon of an arm. Eighth grader, going to be a freshman in high school, and I was told he's going to go to St. John Bosco. Um, but really interesting prospect. Uh, kind of reminds you, like, remember when Troy Williams was like becoming a freshman and he, he, there was a lot of hype around him? I think he's, this kid's going to get a lot of kind of hype like that, but I got footage of him so you can check it out. They're already talking about him on the message boards, but one of the more interesting kids, you know, as an eighth grader, and like I said, everyone we're talking about, no one's a senior. Like everyone's going to be a junior at the, was the oldest that really the prospects for USC that was there, but it's kind of a neat opportunity to see some of these younger kids and, you know, we'll be following like DJ, the quarterback for, for years to come, I'm sure. But it was, you know, I think interesting day overall. It was nice that those guys end up getting scholarship offers. Obviously they're all really talented, uh, players and, and we'll have footage and stuff of a bunch of them going up on uscfootball.com. You can check out for yourself. And then there was Sunday, which I, while you were at the seven on tournament watching all those players, uh, we were actually at the Empire Showcase, which showcased really, you know, a few players, but the one guy going in that I knew USC would want to see, and a guy that had been talking to for a while, was Elijah Griffin, uh, six foot, 170 pound cornerback from Mission Viejo, a guy that's a four star as a sophomore 2018 recruit. Uh, we've seen plenty of him. He's actually the son of Warren G. You guys that were Snoop Dogg fans, uh, Regulator fans back in the days. Um, Warren G's son is actually Elijah Griffin. And you know, there's a lot of guys out there that have sons that are, that are, that are like to have the famous dads. And we've seen it with Cordo Brodus. Uh, we saw it with Nate Dogg. We've, we've seen a few guys come through. Elijah Griffin is the best player of that group. He, he's certainly uh, the most natural, most instinctual, uh, most fluid athlete um, of the group of, you know, famous kids, dads, whatever. Um, and we saw him just at the Empire Showcase and really was kind of probably the best player there. Um, Thomas Graham and Jalen Red showed up real late to do some one-on-ones. But Griffin was the guy that was there from beginning to end. And Ronnie Bradford, the defensive back coach for USC, Clay Helton, and T. Martin Roll there also. But Ronnie Bradford stayed the longest and, and watched Elijah Griffin and had an idea that, you know, Elijah was, was playing well enough to get a scholarship offer. I mean, I've seen enough kids come and go through, you know, USC and guys they've recruited and offered that, you know, he's a guy that probably should have gotten an offer a few months ago. Uh, but, you know, you need to see guys in person and you need to kind of see what their footwork's like. You see if they've got the good hips and, and kind of how they, how they catch the ball and what their, their ball skills are like with the ball in the air. And that was very interesting that Elijah Griffin played a lot of receiver. He got a lot of reps in this camp. I mean, that, that's always good to see because you want to see a kid that's hungry and, and aggressive and wants to get out there and showcase his talent. And he did that on both sides of the ball, but he played a lot of receiver and he really looked good as a receiver. We have exclusive video of that workout. And so, you know, we'll get it to you and you'll basically be able to see what USC saw on him. Uh, but this is a kid who's got really good film. He's a really good football player. Um, played well for Mission Viejo uh, last year, actually in the playoffs, stepped up for them and was pretty big on both sides of the ball. Uh, but in the camp, you know, setting in, in the seven on seven, he's also been very good. And uh, we kind of predicted he would get a scholarship offer from USC and he did um, today, uh, earlier today. And that story's up on uscfootball.com. So that was really kind of the big takeaway from uh, the Empire Showcase, uh, which had a good showing, uh, a lot of good, uh, you know, players. And, and certainly there was something like 37 college coaches that were there at that camp. All right. Well, let's, uh, that was kind of the weekend update and then the latest news update. So now let's jump into the questions, Gerard. We're going to go to our buddy, Bear Secutor, and he says, obviously, uh, we look to take another offensive tackle after the Voorhees commitment, and everyone seems convinced, uh, Nealon is a center. Uh, so that has me thinking, we take five offensive line in this class, but is that doable in a year when we hope to load up on the defensive line and take three wide receiver commitments and still seem uh, and still seem committed to add one quarterback, two tight ends, two running backs in the class. That's from Bear Secure. Yeah, I mean, it's a matter of numbers, and, and, you know, we see the numbers change and fluctuate. And they change because, one, during the season, you start to really see what your needs are a little more than you do during the spring. At this point, you're projecting needs. And once you get into the season and after the season, all of a sudden they become a little more clearer. And obviously you also have uh, your juniors that may be leaving early and you sort of get a better feel for who's had a good season and you go, okay, we might lose a guy in the junior class that we thought was coming back or vice versa. We might have a guy that we thought we might lose, but he got hurt 
a guy like Chad Wheeler and, and hurt his knee, and, and you go, well, well obviously he's not going to leave early now. So all of a sudden that's not quite as big a need. So things can change. Uh, at this point, we're penciling in USC for four to five. I know Brett Nealon said that USC is taking five. Maybe, maybe they do. I've heard four to five. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be five. It could be four that they take in this class. I think it's five depending on the best overall player when you start to get into December, January. And if you've got a guy sitting there that's a high four star off to tackle and you feel like you can get him over maybe somebody who's, um, you know, a defensive back who's a three star type guy and he's out of state and you're like going, eh. We like this kid, but you know, we're not really 100% sure. You might go ahead and go take the extra offensive lineman. So, you know, you project five offensive linemen. You project at least one quarterback. I mean, I've even heard USC might end up with two quarterback commits, hoping to only take one. It would be one of those things that, you know, maybe you take a guy um, early on and then they wait for Tua Tagovailoa, who's committed to Alabama right now. But as if you've been following with the site, we've, you know, done a few stories and done some updates where, and there's a lot of people saying that he probably doesn't end up at Alabama. Um, there's a lot of question marks. Alabama took a second quarterback in this 2017 class. That was expected. Um, who it was going to be was a question mark, but that always sort of also leads to some speculation that, eh, maybe, you know, Tua Tagovailoa doesn't think that they're necessarily invested specifically in him. He could go to USC and sort of be the man. And obviously USC was a childhood favorite, a lot of family in Southern California. We'll see how that shakes out. But at the end of the day, I think USC probably only takes one quarterback, but there is a potential where they end up having two committed in the class at some point, and they sort of have to do some shifting uh, to, to make sure that they don't oversign and they only get one. Obviously, the question of Max Brown transferring and what happens with the starting quarterback position at USC also impacts this. Um, USC is going to get three receivers. They've said they're going to take three receivers. Um, and, you know, you've got Randall Grimes, who was a guy that we kind of penciled in for a while as a tight end. But after watching him at the uh, Adidas Regional 7-on, uh, I think he's going to be classified more as a receiver. Uh, I think he can legitimately play receiver. He's a big receiver. He's more agile um, and has better balance, better ball skills than anticipated, uh, watching a little bit of film on him during the season, um, having seen him in that kind of setting and just watching him and how fluid he was. I think he's a guy who's going to end up playing receiver. So USC takes three receivers. We know they want to take two running backs. You've got Stephen Carr penciled in. you got to keep Stephen Carr, uh, five-star, you know, one of the best players in the country. Um, they're going to take two tight ends in this class, and you want to get five defensive backs in the class. Granted, five defensive backs, maybe, again, one of those guys, that fifth guy, you have to debate whether you want to take a fifth uh, defensive back, uh, maybe being, you know, you have two corners that you kind of pencil in, there's a third corner there, or maybe it's a, a third safety. However, it breaks down, that's one of those positions. Again, you're just talking about you're, you're kind of getting down to the 11th hour. You have to start, um, comparing and contrasting. Okay. Are we taking this fifth defensive back? Or are we taking the fifth offensive lineman? Or perhaps do we want to take a fourth defensive lineman? Because in this lineup right now that we're looking at in terms of need and what USC wants, they're probably taking three interior defensive linemen. Now that's three interior defensive linemen and three linebackers. Linebackers being, including, you know, sort of the hybrid rusher type. So, um, you know, right now USC has a couple of linebacker commits. Um, they've got a commit from Daniel Green, who was a, a pretty recent commit just last month. Uh, 6'3", 225-pound um, inside linebacker. We project him to play inside linebacker. Uh, he's a big kid, uh, looks great on film. There's been some question about his grades and whether he's going to be able to qualify. But coming away from the spring semester, his transcripts look really good, and people were pretty excited and felt that he was going to be able to make it. And that's why you started to see a flurry of offers there. And, and USC came in, and boom, he turned around and committed to USC. Um, USC also has a commitment, and a lot of people kind of forget about this guy, but Giuliano Felonico is another guy that they have a commitment from, 6'4", 200 pounds, uh, probably a Sam type, but we'll see how much weight he puts on and how much bigger he gets. He could end up being on campus at 220, and then you start to say, well, shoot, you know, this guy might end up being a 240-pound uh, rush end more than a Sam linebacker. Uh, so we'll see how that shakes out. But all this sort of affects, you know, the numbers, and they get blurred when you start talking about hybrid positions and where guys fall in. But, I mean, you're taking probably three interior defensive linemen. Uh, so you're talking about Greg Rogers, uh, the 6'4", 285-pound defensive tackle from Las Vegas, Arborview High School. He's the teammate of Elijah Wade, the 2018 defensive end who just got offered in the lineman camp. Um, and then you have Jay Tufali, who's a big-time uh, defensive tackle from um, up in uh, Bingham, Washington, uh, South Jordan, Washington, Bingham High School. And he's, you know, a good 6'3", 295 pounds, dominated the Northern California opening 
that we were at and got a lot of video of him and you can see him just uh, just destroying the competition. He's another guy that's high on USC's list and USC's high on his list. So as interior guys go, those are two guys that are really good starting point. Uh, we'll see if USC can sort of get another guy in maybe from out of state. Um, maybe there's somebody locally that pops up that's, you know, in that, again, 270 to 200, 300-pound range. You're talking about an inside interior guy and a 3-4 variant. Um, you need those guys to be big to, to, to be able to, to run stop and, and do those things that, you know, Clancy Pendergast is basically looking for. They've definitely, in terms of, I think, overall recruiting, are definitely recruiting bigger kids. Um, it's the scheme, you know, I talked actually with Chris Hawkins about this when I was at the Empire Showcase. His dad, Armand Hawkins, ran the showcase. Um, we were just talking about the scheme and, you know, how it was different from Clancy's scheme in 2013, how it was different from last year's scheme with Justin Wilcox. And one of the big things that, you know, we, we, I, we've kind of talked about in the past, but he kind of confirmed and verified was that, you know, you're going to have two different safety prospects in this, uh, in this class, in this defense. You're going to have a free safety and you're going to have a strong safety, which in the past defense with Justin Wilcox, you really just had two safeties. And those guys are interchangeable. But now they're looking for a big safety to come up and play the run. Um, in the box, um, they're looking for bigger linebackers and they're looking for big defensive linemen. So that's that trend of getting bigger is still there because you're still playing that three, four variant. And so you need those interior guys that four, three defensive end, you could get a guy that's 240, 250 pounds and play him off the edge and, and hope he can beat that off offensive tackle in space. But in the 34, those guys are moving into being five and four techniques. So they've got to be a little bigger. They're taking on those linemen directly. You can't play in space as much. You're going to have your outside linebackers at the line of scrimmage. They're going to be able to play in space. Guys like Porter Gustin, uh, Jabari Ruffin, um, your interior guys are going to have to be able to be big and strong and physical to be able to stop the run in that defense. Um, David kind of had a similar question um, after, uh, you know, picking up the commitment from Borges. He's a three-star guy. He wants to know, and he, he named a few of the other guys that he likes, but does this mean that we may miss out on what should easily be uh, easily recruitable four- and five-star talent with that spot taken by Voorhees? No, USC liked Voorhees. They wouldn't have offered Voorhees if they didn't think he was just as good as those other four-star or five-star guys. And certainly, if you're taking five guys in this class, you still got three spots left. Um, so I think with Voorhees, they, they liked him. They, they recruited him hard. Um, they recruited him kind of late. They were behind on recruiting him. Uh, really, it was UCLA and Oregon that got out of the gates real quick with him. And, and UCLA uh, really thought that they had a great shot at him. But USC swooped in, and they offered him. And, and about two, three weeks later, he turned around and committed. Um, Stanford was the other school that was sort of dangling their offer out there. Uh, he was going to go and camp at Stanford. And, you know, we had had, had a feeling that they were going to get another offensive line commit. And Brett Nealon sort of, you know, put that on on Twitter that, you know, there's another – uh, commit coming soon. He didn't say off the line commit, but he said there's another commit coming soon. And we were thinking maybe Chuck Filiaga was going to be that guy, uh, mainly because Voorhees we thought was going to go to Stanford this week and camp and see if he got an offer. And then that would obviously change his recruitment because he, he really liked Stanford as well. Uh, but he decided he wasn't going to camp. He decided USC was a perfect school for him, that he fit in at USC better, and is basically canceled all visits and all camps, and he's 100% USC. So now USC, they, they like uh, Neyland and they like Voorhees. Those are guys that they went out and, and they wanted to get a part of this class. You do have Austin Jackson still out there, 6'6", 280-pound uh, offensive tackle from Phoenix, a guy that camped with USC uh, last year. We'll see if he comes back to camps again. He's a USC legacy. A lot of people feel like uh, USC is the team to beat with him. Um, you also have uh, Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, that's one player, Vera Tucker. It's not two players, not like Hayes Pillard uh, playing two different positions. <laughs> uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is a four-star up there in the Bay Area. It goes to Bishop O'Dowd High School in Oakland. And uh, it's another guy that's very, very athletic. Um, can play offensive tackle, even though he's a little short. He's more of like probably 6'2", 6'3", 190 pounds. But one of those sort of outliers is that he's athletic enough that he can sort of play on the edge. Um, and very similar to Wyatt Davis, who's another guy that I think right now I would say USC has the inside edge on. And he's about 6'4", 305 pounds, 310 pounds. A guy that um, projects maybe as a guard, um, but could very easily play offensive tackle just because of his athleticism. So USC has a great shot at all these guys. I, I know people keep dropping Eric Bake's name, and I've been asked about that on the message board. That's not a name that comes up on my radar as a, oh, yeah, USC, the team to beat, and, you know, they they really got the inside track. Uh, somebody had said that there was another site that reporting that he was basically a USC lock. There's no such thing as locks 
uh, at this point in, in July. That's um, I've been doing this long enough to know that there's no such thing as loss. And, and I don't necessarily have Aaron Bakes coming up in those conversations of guys that USC has this great shot at either. And I talked to him in person a couple times, and he's pretty tight-lipped about recruiting and doesn't really say too much either way about, um, you know, the schools that he likes. Uh, but that's another guy that's a possibility. I mean, I'll throw another name out there, Henry Benevalu, uh from Sammamish, uh, Washington, Skyline High School, same high school that Max Brown got, went to. And um, he's a guy that a lot of people thought early on was going to go to Washington, and he would stay in state. Now, talking to Brandon Huffman, who, you know, is, is really the authority on all those Northwestern kids, um, you know, he thinks he's definitely going to go out of state now. And USC is one of the only schools that he took a visit to during the spring, um, there's that connection with Max Brown. We saw during that practice, that was actually USC's first scrimmage at the Coliseum during spring, and all the players basically ran off the field after practice. And they brought Max Brown back out to talk to Henry Benevalu and and just kind of like, hey, you know, kind of build that relationship. And, and, and Max is, is the ambassador of all ambassadors when it comes to USC. I mean, if you were to draw it up, and say, hey, we need a guy that's going to represent our university and be our spokesman, Max Brown's that guy. And the other guy would be Zach uh, Banner. I mean, they've got two guys that are, I mean, they are the friggin' prototypes of the guys that you would want to be cornerstones of your university uh, as representation. And so he came right back out. Like, he, he came all the way back out of the tunnel and came out and, and, and hung out with Clay Helton and some of the coaches and talked to Henry uh, Benny Value. And, and, and Benny Value is, is a guy that is – Another sort of like Voorhees, incredibly big framed kid, huge head, huge shoulders, big arms, big leg. I mean, he is disproportionately large. There are guys that are 6'5 and 6'7, and they're big kids. Like Chad Wheeler is a good example. Chad Wheeler is a big, tall guy, but he's pretty proportionate to his size. He's a tall guy that, um, you know, doesn't really have any kind of features that are striking outside of just his height and how tall he is. But you get a kid like Andrew Voorhees or Henry Benavalu, those guys are disproportionately like just big, large human beings, and they have big frames. And those guys just, you know, the wear and tear of offensive linemen, um, you want some of those big physical guys that can play that position. Uh, reminds me of Chris O'Dowd, you know, when I saw him in high school and just how big of a, of a guy he was. It was just striking how big his frame was. And so – there's another guy that USC has a good shot at that they could get. And so, you know, I understand the question, oh, you know, they're taking three-star guys when they should hold out and take five-star guys. Right now, USC's taking the guys they like. And, and if you watch Andrew Voorhees on film, you're going to be impressed. I mean, he's a good-looking guy. I think he's from Kingsburg. Kingsburg's kind of out of the way. You're not going to get to see a lot of him. We saw him at the Nike camp. He was solid at the Nike camp. He was good at the Nike camp. He just didn't take a ton of reps at the Nike camp. So that's unfortunate because we're not going to see probably a whole lot of him unless he shows up to the Rising Stars camp or some other camp that somebody's able to see him at and he's able to really dominate. Um, Brent Nealon will have probably a better chance of moving up in the rankings just because he's local. Greg Biggins, myself, Blair Angulo, you know, scouts got it covered up and down the West Coast. They're going to be able to see him probably play more in pads, and he's going to have more opportunities to impress. Um, and obviously you have the All-Star games that come, and I don't think Adrian Voorhees at this point has been invited to any of the All-Star games. Uh, but – like I said, you for yourself. You know, don't don't worry about these camps and all these other things. Put on the film when the guy's playing in pads. He's pretty impressive, and certainly physically, when you see him in person, I can vouch right now. The guy is huge. All right, huge offensive line recruit. Let's talk a little uh, quarterback recruiting. Another bear secutor question. He loves writing in. He said, assuming uh, Corral is a total lock for 2018, and if you you know listen to Gerard's last answer, there is no total locks. Um, the board right now for 2017 looks like Tagovailoa, Martell, which that's not the case anymore. He just committed to Ohio State. And Sears plus uh, Chase Gabbers. Sears does not look like he'll pull the trigger soon. Um, it appears these guys may still be out there at least until the, the Max Brown, Sam Darnold decision is finalized in the fall. At that point, do you see USC really pushing to get a commit rapidly, even though, uh, even if that means securing Gabbers? Or will the staff take a flyer and hope to sign Sears, Mar well, not Martell anymore, or Tua on signing day? Well, I think right now it's really Sears and Tagovailoa. 
And I think Sears has sort of crept into being the number one guy. For a while, USC didn't seem really certain as to who their guy was going to be once Tagovailoa committed to Alabama. Um, but Sears, over the last few months here just with camps, you know, the, the regional opening up there in Northern California, the Elite 11 down here, he sort of separated himself. Um, athletically, he's running good times. He's showing that, you know, what you see on film, him running away from guys is legitimate. Um, he's showing that he's got a good arm. He's accurate, and he's consistent. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that really is the biggest thing for coaches, when they see consistency. And a guy has been good consistently at multiple events. And so I think those are really 1A and 1B really for USC. Um, Sears is going to commit before the senior season. Um, so in terms of soon, that's pretty soon. You know, he's going to make a decision pretty soon. Um, how – Things play out with the sort of the, the, the fallout of Max Brown and Sam Darnold and who's named the starter. I don't know. I, I don't know how quickly or how much that would actually impact the the players that are in this current class. It, obviously it could because you've got Sam Darnold who's a redshirt freshman, but then you have the potential of Max Brown leaving and USC not having a whole lot of depth. Um, so it could kind of go either way. You could argue, yeah, it's, it's going to impact those guys, and they're going to look at that, and they're going to either say, no, Sam Darnold's going to be there. He's a starter. He's only a redshirt freshman right now. I'm going to go somewhere else. Or you could say, well, you know, Max Brown's transferring, and shoot, they really don't have anybody but Sam Darnold. One one snap, and he could end up, you know, being hurt, and boom, I'm the starter type of thing. Uh, you can argue either way. It's hard to get in the kids' heads and to know what they're going to do. I will say this. Right now, the feeling is Sears is maybe leaning towards UCLA more than USC. Um, it's hard to read him. It's really been like Washington, USC, and UCLA for a while. He's going to take some visits now to Tennessee and go out there and, you know, kind of check out some of these SEC schools. And, you know, when they go on these visits, all of a sudden magically, you know, Ole Miss will end up in there. Um, so it's like, you know, we kind of have to see what happens with that if, if, if he wants to really stay local despite those visits. And, again, Tagovailoa is going to be there. He's not going to decommit from Alabama anytime soon, but it's just at this point where we feel like, yeah, he's going to be there, and then USC is going to have him as a potential option down the line at some point. And so um, that's really the reason I talk about perhaps maybe at some point they, they end up getting two commits because maybe they go on a guy like Chase Gabbers because Sears commits somewhere else, and they want to take a guy in this class, and they say, you know what, let's be you know proactive better safe than sorry, we'll take uh, another quarterback, and then we'll wait and see what happens with Tagovailoa, and then we'll figure out who we like better at that point, because Tagovailoa is probably not going to make any real decision on what he's going to do until December, January, if he starts to waver. Um, he talked about maybe being an early enrollee, but I don't get the sense that's a priority or that's a real important thing for him. Um, so I, I think that's just sort of going to shake out. There's going to be Tagovailoa, 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 and that's going to kind of go on and on, and people are going to talk about that, and that's going to come up. Um, and then there'll be maybe this other guy. And who that other guy is is going to be just a question mark. If it's Jack Sears, I think to talk about Tagovailoa goes away, and they feel, hey, we got Jack Sears, that's our guy, boom, we're done. Um, but if it's not, then, yeah, there's going to be some some questions. Unless they're, you know, pull a rabbit out of their hat somewhere and get a guy like Hunter Johnson or somebody who's a big-time quarterback somewhere else. But at this point, they just have had no luck. Um, with Davis Mills or Hunter Johnson or any of those other top quarterbacks nationally. It's really come down to Jack Sears and, uh, yeah, Tagovailoa. This can, this can become a drinking game here very soon for people. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. Well, we're, I think we're already at the 45 minute mark and we still have a bunch of questions left. So we'll try to, I want to get through them all. Maybe we'll do a little more rapid fire if that's okay, Gerard. Not, not our specialty, but, um, Mark at Crown City. He says, thanks for filling in the difficult news void between spring practice and the upcoming football season. My question relates to your collective sense of interest from top Trojan recruiting targets uh, during your attendance at the regional opening and Elite 11 competitions. Uh, are there any discernible differences in the attitudes of recruits this year on the attractiveness of the USC football program, given the new coaching staff and program stability vis-a-vis -vis the Kiffin and Sarkeesian eras? Thanks both uh, for your tireless work to keep the Trojan Nation educated and, and informed. Mark from Crown City. Yes. Um, I think it's just still a question of stability, uh, a question of how does this coaching staff do on the field? 
Um, you know, and we saw just recently with Darnay Holmes, a five-star from Calabasas High School, uh, plays corner, also plays a little bit of a slot and receiver, where he really had no interest in USC for the past year. Uh, really since last fall, he just hasn't talked about USC. USC kind of wasn't involved in his list of favorites, and USC just seemed completely out of it. And then kind of out of the blue, um, his dad called Kerry Colbert and realized Kerry Colbert was back at USC. He wasn't at Alabama anymore. And they started talking. And he said, you know, let me, uh, you know, come down for a visit and, and talk to the new staff. You know, we haven't talked to the new staff collectively. He came down, and he was really impressed with Clay Helton. He was really impressed with the staff. And it was, for him, the first time that he could kind of sort of see where USC was going and, and what the philosophy was and, and if there was stability there and, and whether he could trust that, yeah, this staff might be able to to, to, to make something happen and, and make something special out of the USC football program. And so he came away impressed, you know, sitting down with basically the whole staff, talked to Clay Helton, talked to Clancy Pendergast, talked to T. Martin, had one-on-one interviews slash, you know, conversations with those guys and came away feeling like, you know what, USC is now back in the mix. Um, now, how much of the mix they are, that's open to debate. I think UCLA is still definitely his leader, and I think it, it does them well to have another school locally that they can kind of fall back on and talk about and, and have being, you know, a contender for Darnay's interest. Um, when it's just UCLA, I think it's kind of maybe not as interesting, and, and there's some of that, I think, in, involved in this uh, with Darnay Holmes. But it does sort of speak also to the, the coaching staff and sort of, you know, when kids get on campus and talk to Clay Helton, it is a bit of a game changer for them. Everybody that we've talked to, especially the offensive linemen, and I just brought this up in our, our future impact piece on Andrew Voorhees with Greg Biggins. And, and I asked Greg, I said, you know, I talk to these kids as much as you talk to these kids. And the one thing that I've gotten from a lot of the linemen is that they really seem to relate to Clay Helton. You know, White Davis was the first guy back in February that talked about meeting with Clay Helton after junior day and just, man, he couldn't stop raving about Clay Helton and just love Clay Helton. And man, that's just my guy. And I, man, I love what he says. And, and he just, and I, and I said, you know, Clay Helton's father, who's actually at the lineman camp this weekend, his dad, Kim, was an offensive line coach. He's an offensive line coach. And it made me think, you know, maybe just Clay understands the offensive linemen. You know, his dad was an offensive line coach. He's probably been around a lot of offensive linemen. Um, he, he just understands sort of those guys and, and their perspective on things, even though Clay was really a quarterback uh, coming through uh, college and, and uh, high school. So I think, you know, there's there's something to be said for that. And there's something to said, be said for kind of um, the, the sincerity that comes across from him. That's what Greg really attributed it to. He felt like, you know, I don't, I don't know if it has anything to do with his dad being an offensive lineman or him relating specifically to offensive linemen. It's just I think he wants those sort of Stanford-esque guys that are good character guys, and I think that's kind of sort of who Clay Helton is. And so when you get that and you sit down across from him, USC staff is doing great things. But it's the kids that – are sort of not sure and haven't really had those one-on-one experiences yet that are still skeptical and they have a right to be because look at USC has been tremendously inconsistent on the field and they want to know, Hey man, am I going to be a part of a winner? Am I going to be a part of something special? I mean, I could go to Alabama. I could go to Michigan. I mean, look at Jim Harbaugh. Everybody's saying Jim Harbaugh is, you know, the Messiah. Uh, I could go to Ohio state. You know, they won a national championship just a couple of years ago and they got urban Meyer. You have these bigger than life head coaches out there and you have stability within those programs because none of those coaches at this point are really being pursued too hard by the NFL and none of them are going to the NFL. Um, so it's a different sort of time right now, you know, where you, a few years ago you had Pete Carroll and you had some of these other coaches that every other year it's like, oh, he's going to the NFL, he's going to the NFL. Saban has sort of changed that because he stayed in Alabama so long and made a home at Alabama. So that's what USC is competing against. They got to go on the field. They got to win football games. You got to win 10, 11 football games. It's going to be hard. Everybody's projecting them to, you know, really start out the season, um, you know, with, with, with a couple losses, Stanford and Alabama. Uh, you've got a, a tough road to be able to win double digit games. But if USC can do it, then, you know, you still, you have a lot more stability and you have a lot more people feeling like, hey, Clay Helton's going to be around. And I think once they feel like that, then they get to know Clay Helton and then Clay Helton really closes the deal. He's a good recruiter. He is very good in home. And like I said, the sincerity and everything that he says, 
it comes across, it cuts through, and, and, and they will recruit crazy well if they're able to win those games and, and again, build stability within wins. All right. Uh, SC Maid wants to know, any idea of the big names locally and nationally who are planning to attend Rising Stars this year? Thank you both and fight on. Yeah, and, and that's, again, we're going back to the satellite camps are sort of watering down these camps a little bit and, and you know, maybe more for the out-of-state guys than, than anything. Um, but certainly I think even some of the in-state guys, there's a little bit of a question mark as to who's actually going to show and who's just going to kind of show up and, and, and hang out. You know, we're getting a lot of that right now as kids like Stephen Carr is a good example of a guy that, I don't think he's going to camp at USC. Um, they may be able to convince him to camp at USC, but he camped at USC last year. He's got a scholarship offer. He's been committed for a while. In his mind, you know, I don't really have anything to prove. Uh, I'd like to go down there and hang out and see how Coach Tommy Robinson coaches, but I think that's sort of what you're going to get. Same with Najee Harris. Um, it'll be more of the underclassmen guys that end up showing up, that end up, you know, doing things and, and, and kind of trying to show that, yeah, they deserve the offers. Uh, that they've gotten. Elijah Griffin will be a guy that he's going to camp at USC. He's got a scholarship offer, but he'll still, still go down to USC and he'll camp. Um, I think Randall Grimes is supposed to come back and, and camp at USC. Um, we'll see if Austin Jackson comes in and camps at USC. That's a question mark. I mean, he's kind of a ghost. He's a guy that after getting the scholarship offer and talking to him a few times over the fall, he just completely dropped off the face of the map. Doesn't like recruiting, not into it, which is which is why I kind of could see him being a guy that maybe he does commit early. Um, I know he wants to take all five of his official visits. He said that from the jump. But he could be one of those guys that still takes his visits but commits early, hoping that it will sort of quiet down the, you know, the recruiting process to some extent. Um, there's a possibility uh, that Aaron Bates comes down and participates. Probably not. Again, it might be one of those guys that just comes down to hang out. He did participate last year. So, again, it's kind of going to be the theme. You're going to see more underclassmen actually participate in the camp where you're going to see a lot of guys um, just sort of show up and hang out at the camp, I think, um, just to talk to the coaches and kind of see what's going on, see how they actually – uh, interact with the players. I think that's more important for them than actually coming down and working out. Um, so we'll see. But there there will be some guys that I think from out of state, I think they'll still get a handful of guys. Uh, they'll get a couple Florida guys coming down. I think Derek Smith, uh, 6'3", 190-pound um, safety slash receiver from Jacksonville is going to come down. Uh, DJ Matthews and uh, Sean Wade are all, also guys on that Trinity um, Christian team uh, in Jacksonville that will probably show up. Right now they're tentatively penciled in as attendees that they should be coming down, um, but we'll see if it happens. Marvin Wilson, another guy, they're supposed to get on campus here pretty soon. Don't know if he's going to actually be like a Rising Stars guy. You just never know. Sometimes these kids show up and they're like, yeah, you know what, I brought my cleats. Hey, I'm, why don't I just go out here and work out? But a lot of times they just come out and they're just taking basically an unofficial visit. All right. Um, Irvin wanted to know about a – quarterback from Hawaii, Kevin Yoon, and I know we talked off air, you've never heard of him, so um we don't we can kind of skip over that. So don't know, Irvin, sorry about that. Don't we haven't heard his name come up before. Um Jim in Oregon wrote in, says great work on the podcast. I listen while I run. It makes the miles go by faster. That's good, Jim. Uh I have a two part question for Gerard. First, who are the high value can't miss recruits in this year's cycle? Do a quick and then we'll do the other part. Oh boy, can't uh, Stephen Carr. <laughs> can't miss on Stephen Carr. I think that's definitely a guy that that you don't want to miss. Um, you know, you look at the defensive line; they need defensive linemen in this class. Uh, but is there a can't miss guy that's that's you know so good locally that you can't miss on him? I think there's a should get in Greg Rogers. I think he's a should get guy, um, but I don't know if he's quite good enough to say he can't miss sort of guy. Terrence Lang, another guy, should get. Uh, could be great. Could be a great player. 6'7", 200, well, he's not really 6'7", he's 6'5", but, you know, 265 pounds, a guy that plays tight end, um, plays at Maranatha, which is a really small school, so, you know, you're not you're not seeing him play against the best competition. But we've seen him in 7-on, and he's just a dancing bear. I mean, he's huge, and he's got great agility and great balance. Um, pretty good ball skills for a guy that big. Uh, but that's a guy that you should get. You know, USC's the, the childhood favorite and the leader, and they should get him. Um, but I, I don't know that there's really a lot of can't-miss guys. I, you could maybe argue Austin Jackson is a can't-miss. I, I think maybe off the top of my head the list of guys that you could go over that 
USC should be able to get and are of high enough talent and value that they are that much of a need and local that you need to get that are can't miss, Austin Jackson would probably be one of those guys, especially considering you're losing Zach Banner and Chad Wheeler both to graduation, you'd need to get a premier offensive tackle in there. Granted, USC has recruited very well in the offensive line. You got Roy Helmsley there. You got Chumil Doga there, who, you know, we'll see if he's defensive line, offensive line. I think he ends up probably back on the offensive line by the time, you know, they're, he's needed to actually start. Um, they've got some depth there, but yeah, you, you want to get a guy in this class uh, when you're losing those two guys. And Austin Jackson would obviously be a five star and high end guy. And Phoenix, kind of a sort of a suburb of Southern California, if you will. <laughs> Nice. Suburb of SoCal. I'm sure they'll love to hear that. Uh, he said the second part, each year a handful of prospects rise to the top of the Peristyle's collective wish list. These players' destinations and merits are questioned and debated across the message board and podcast. Think of Jack Jones, Biggie, Osa Messina. This year, I'm not seeing as much chatter about specific players aside from Najee Harris. I can't name a specific high-value player we're targeting. Is it just early in the recruiting cycle or are other factors at play. Thanks and fight on Jim in Oregon. It's just the class. Um, it's just, you know, some class have those marquee guys that are just out there and they're a local guy and they're sort of, you know, a legacy type guy or come from a school where there's a pipeline, you know, like Sarah or Long Beach Poly. Those guys are just not there this year. You know, there's no guy at Long Beach Poly that's a Jack Jones or a Juju Smith. There's no guy at Sarah in the 2017 class that's an Adoree Jackson or Robert Woods. So it's really just about how the class sort of sorts out. Um, you could argue, though, like I said, Austin Jackson, sort of a marquee guy at a position of need because you've got two guys leaving. Wyatt Davis would be another guy you could throw out there and say, you know what, that's a marquee talent at a position that you might need, guys. Um, he could probably play some right tackle, so you have to put him on that list. St. John Bosco been very good to USC. Um, so it's, it may be more offensive linemen, and offensive linemen are not as sexy. They're not as you know, fun to talk about is some great running back type slash quarterback or receiver that everybody wants to talk about. You know, linemen are, are, are a little undervalued when it comes to that, but just as important. And certainly I would put them in those categories, but they're probably just not going to get as much play um, in terms of headlines. Although, again, and, and because he's already committed, he's another guy that you, maybe you're not going to talk about like this, but Stephen freaking Carr. People, Stephen Carr is one of the best running backs in the nation. Um, I know Najee Harris is really great, but Stephen Carr, okay? So you want that guy that's the big-time, biggie, whatever, whatever, Stephen Carr is going to be that guy for you. And he's already committed, so just smile. Nice. Um, you know, you talked about the defensive line already. We had two questions on it. And if you want to add anything more, you can. Eric and Duck Country wanted to know who the big-time defensive line recruits USC offered and if there are any that are considered USC leans. And Tarek... How many defensive linemen does USC need in this cycle to be safe? And what would be the optimal number of linemen to take? Um, so I, mean, I don't know if you want to add to what you've already talked about, the defensive line talk. Well, you'd love to take four, um, but that would probably mean taking one less receiver or one less defensive back. Um, three is probably what they end up with. And we're talking about interior linemen again, so don't get your hybrid rushers mixed in with that. Um, and in terms of the question of who are the big-time defensive linemen that they're after, Greg Rogers, Las Vegas, Arborview High School, four star, six four, about two eighty five, and Jade Feli, uh, six three to ninety five, uh, out of uh, South Jordan, Utah, Bingham High School. Those are the two guys. Those are definitely two guys, sort of um, up there. And, and I'd probably throw Terrence Lang in there because I think he's going to play defensive end, and he's you know a good six five, six six, and he'll be three hundred pounds, I think, uh, in no time. Um, he is sort of the Noah Jefferson um, from Henderson High School. I always get that screwed up. Noah Henderson from Jefferson. Um, <laughs> but Noah Jefferson from Henderson, uh, Nevada. He's kind of that guy in this class in terms of just the raw uh, physical skill, ability, um, but, you know, kind of questioned because of the talent that he's going against and the competition level he's going against, uh, but just a, a physical specimen. And so really you could say those three guys are sort of like if USC landed those three guys – that would be pretty good, you know. That would be pretty good. Is there an immediate impact player of the three? Jay Tefeli would be that guy, probably. I think he probably is, is going to be a guy that could come in probably early and, and play. Um, I don't know if he's going to be Leonard Williams type good, but I think he'll be. Um, I think he'll be a high level guy as a freshman, and it could be an all conference level player. He, he's very good. All right. Uh, so we got one last one from David. It's kind of a four part thing, so we'll do them kind of. 
rapid fire one at a time. Are we platooning wide receivers? Easy for you to say. Yes. (laughs) I think that'll be easy. Are we platooning wide receivers or are the freshmen just going to redshirt? Uh, Some freshmen will redshirt for sure. Um, So, yes and no. I I think they're going to have to play some guys early just because of the depth, you know, issues that they have at wide receiver. But um, I think guys are redshirt also. Okay. And then do you think that we might be scaring away all of the great 2017 athletes like Tyjon Lindsay, Joseph Lewis, and Greg Johnson with the depth at wide receiver? Well, Greg Johnson's not going to play wide receiver. He's going to end up playing defensive back. But with uh, Jody Lewis and, or Joseph Lewis, we call him Jody, Joseph Lewis and uh, Tyjon Lindsay, yes, I do believe that. I think that for sure Joseph Lewis has mentioned the five receivers that they took last year. I think it's going to be a matter of sorting out who actually ends up playing, who ends up really showing out and being guys that are like, oh, wow, okay, that guy I'm actually going to probably play in back of. Um, he's going to be hard to jump on the the depth chart. Uh, if, if, if there's a guy that emerges from the class like that, you know, Tyler Vons or, or Mike Pittman or somebody emerges that's like a, a freshman All-American, yeah, it's going to be harder. But I, I think – when you get down to it, and, and they were going to redshirt quite a few guys, I think, in the other five, I say quite a few. Uh, I could see two or three of those guys redshirting. Um, I, I think maybe Joseph Lewis sort of looks at it again and goes, well, they're redshirt guys. They couldn't have been that great. I could probably come in and, and, and play over them. Um, and maybe even with Tyson Lindsay to some extent. Although I think USC right now, from what I'm hearing, is just – I think they're a little more enamored with Joseph Lewis just because of his size. I think USC, again, there's a theme here. They want to get bigger. They want to get bigger at receiver. They want to get bigger at defensive back. They want to get bigger on the defensive line. Um, they just want to get bigger and stronger. And I think they like Joseph Lewis because they feel like he is a bigger physical, more player uh, that will certainly be better on run blocks. And so um, I think uh, that's kind of kind of be the guy they zero in on. They've already got Randall Grimes there, um, but I could still see them going after Jody Lewis and um, and trying to get him and trying to sway him. And as the season progresses, like I said, you can kind of see, you know, those five receivers, are, are they all end up receivers? You know, somebody maybe moved to defensive back. And um, and how those guys actually play. And uh, like I said, if there's, you know, if there's two guys, three guys that end up being really good and, and, and doing a lot, then, yeah, you know, <laughs> he's going to start thinking, well, I'm not going to be playing there early. And USC may not be as worried about it either. But um, I think it'll shake out to where he'll probably see – in person, USC, you know, they've, they've, they've still got a place for a guy like that that can come in and be a marquee guy and start from day one. Uh, he lists two number three questions. So there's uh, one of them I think we can skip. Why isn't Darnay Holmes considering SC too much? And that you've actually talked about that. He is considering it more now. And yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And then uh, do you think our heavy recruitment of Najee Harris? Is scaring away Stephen Carr. Could we see another thunder and lightning at USC? I think he's talking about Reggie Bush and Lindell White. Yeah, no. Uh, first, they're not Reggie Bush and Lindell. Those guys were real opposites in terms of their style of play. Um, Stephen Carr and Najee Harris are, are much closer in terms of their style of play. Uh, but no, uh, USC likes Najee Harris. Everybody likes Najee Harris. He's 6'3, 226. Um, you know, runs 4'6, high 4'5. And he's really athletic, um, and he's got great hands. So <laughs> everybody likes Najee Harris, but I don't think USC's, you know, holding out hope for Najee Harris. I think they like Stephen Carr, and I think, you know, if you want to talk about thunder and lightning, there may be more of a thunder and lightning type duo with a, a guy like Salvin Ahmed, who's you know five eleven, 185 pounds, worked out as a defensive back at the opening up another California, uh, but a guy that if you put on his film, you watch him from Juanita High School in Kirkland, Washington. His running back film is really spectacular. Now it is, you know, Washington is not necessarily South California competition level, but it's impressive. It's impressive. And so um, that's a guy that sort of, you know, has that all-purpose back ability. USC has, you know, a few more offers out there. Uh, Ty Montgomery out of uh, Brent, uh, was it Montgomery Bell High School um, in uh, Brentwood, Nashville, you know, Tennessee, out your, your wife's way, Jana's way. Um, you know, you have a few kind of guys like that that are more like all-purpose types that USC could also recruit. So I think they're, you know, I think they like Stephen Carr and they're happy with Stephen Carr, and it's sort of like can we get some icing on the cake, basically, um, and get somebody else that can kind of play off of Stephen Carr. Uh, you know, Darnay Holmes could be even a possible guy like that. It could be a slot-type 
all-purpose back in addition to playing cornerback. That's basically sort of what they were selling him on playing when he came down there as an official visit and he talked to the coaching staff. So um, they, it's, it's sort of found money a little bit. I mean, if you got Stephen Carr and you can keep him uh, and you got to keep recruiting him hard because everybody and their brother's coming after him, um, then you're, you're, you're okay with that second running back. You can sort of mess around. Because remember, uh, I mean, USC's got a little bit of depth at running back right now. You know, they've got some players, and obviously guys are going to graduate. You're going to have Justin Davis leaving. Um, but you still have some young depth there, and so – um, they're, they're all right. You know, it's, it's not a position of, of need, that second running back in the 2017 class. And then one last one. He's, I said, also curious about the fullback situation. Are we just going to put two running backs in at a time now? And would you see Ronald Jones and Justin Davis on the field at the same time? Thanks from David. That's a good question. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past. I don't know yet because USC, I, really good source told me they're eliminating the fullback position from the offense, quote unquote. And then we got into about week two of spring ball and all of a sudden they're starting to work out like walk on linebackers at, at fullback. Um, they're trying to bring in like some type of graduate transfer as a fullback, you know, so they were all of a sudden looking for fullbacks. In this class, we haven't really seen a ton of focus on guys that could play fullback. I mean, there was a guy actually at the Empire Showcase named Connor McBride, who's a 6'2", 230-pound running back from uh, Woodbridge High School in Irvine, a guy that sort of fits that mold of, yeah, that would be a great fullback for you. He ran for like almost 2,000 yards, I think, at Woodbridge last year. He's a good running back, but he's a guy that at college level, you put some weight on him and you have him play a fullback, and he's a good receiver out of the backfield. You do those type of things. But we haven't really seen on the recruiting trail – a ton of focus on those type of players or any offers to go out to those type of players. So, um, you know, they have Ave Malpai coming out and he's, you know, sort of, I mean, he's a running back and he played well at the Army All-American game as a running back um, in the 2016 class and he'll be there in June. Uh, maybe he's a guy that puts on weight and kind of sort of plays that Havili, um, you know, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, McKenzie. Um, Malifa McKenzie uh, type, uh, yeah, Mal type, of, type of position for USC. That's a possibility down the line. So we'll, we'll see um, how much they use the fullback this season, and then really it's just more of how how they recruit that position in the recruiting trail. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff, man. It was a long podcast, but it was good. We got a lot of topics covered. Really appreciate you coming on. I and, feel uh, like we went. Yeah, I feel like we did get a lot of topics covered on this one. We did. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, there was a lot going on. So. Good stuff, and uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Maybe we'll break these up a little more, and we won't have as many topics to cover all in one podcast. Well, yeah, we got to do we got to do more recruiting podcasts. So we'll we'll make more of an effort to do that. I say that a lot, but we got to make sure. So keep sending us questions, recruiting questions. And we'll I save them all, and so we get to put them up there and put them on the show. But that's Gerard Martinez. I'm Ryan Abraham. Make sure you check out uscfootball.com for lots more on this USC recruiting cycle, getting crazy right now, satellite camps and all that. So thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.